God, I love that music. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher. And on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior to get control of your thought processes, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are, guys, episode 27. And it has been recorded on Sunday, the 1st of November. I am at home still. We're in the middle of this lockdown here in Dublin. And uh, last week's episode, I spoke about the opportunities in retail and building your own home. And before I get into today's episode, I'll give you just a quick little update. Um, first of all, as always, I'd just like to point you to the Facebook group that I operate. It's called Behind the Facade Community. We have about 240 members and uh, it's the best way to get in contact with me if you want to participate in the um, in the Q&A sessions that I do and the live videos that I do on the group and things like that. So just give, uh, you know, if you could, guys, we, we're constantly getting new members in there and um, and I do a couple of live videos every week. So please do consider joining up there. and. Um, I thought I would just tell you guys about something. I don't often do this, but um, I've been watching Netflix for the last couple of days and uh, I'm going to give you a show recommendation. There's a new show out called The Queen's Gambit and uh, it's uh, this girl, Anya Taylor-Joy, plays a chess pro- a chess prodigy and, um, and it's you know based between America and Russia and things like that. Super show, really, really enjoyed it and... Um, I don't know if anybody is interested in chess, but it's quite the game. And uh, this um, this show kind of shows how the guys kind of can go a bit bonkers, the uh, the chess grandmasters. And uh, definitely recommend that one for yourselves. Wanted to give a quick shout out to one of our listeners. Now, this person enjoys their privacy, so I'm not going to share their name, but they are in the process of writing a book and they will be donating 100% of the proceeds to a charity called Cleaners Foundation. Now, Cleaners Foundation helps families with children in palliative care. And uh, I am honored to have been asked to write a small section for a book that has been prepared and 100% of the proceeds will be going to Cleaners Foundation. So just, um, I'll put a link in the show notes below to Cleaners Foundation. And uh, if anyone is feeling charitable in this uh, coming up to Christmas and all that. We can't believe Halloween is only over and we're already talking about Christmas. Three months, uh, this week I started a three month intensive um, focus period where I'm going to be putting my own book together and I'm also in the process of getting ready to start training for my Ironman. The Ironman race is next August so I'm giving myself, it's about, we're coming up on 40 weeks until the event and um, I thought I would um, remind you guys that anyone who is interested in learning more about my book, you should sign up to the website newsletter and that way I'll have your email. I can let you know when the book is about to be released. So if you want to go and sign up for that, gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go and that will get you directly into the, uh, the email list sign up. All right, so let's get into the meat of the episode, shall we? Today, I am having a conversation with Mr. Damien Brown of Standard Access. Now, Damien comes from 
Dingle in County Kerry, which is on the which is on Ireland's southwest coast, and it's a very rural part, beautiful part of the country. And uh, anybody who has not, uh, who doesn't know about Dingle, you should just do a little Google search on it. There, it's famous for its uh, dolphin that sort of is resident in the harbour. And um, despite being based in Kerry, um, Damien is actually a very well-travelled man and. Um, he has lived all around the world. He's lived in San Francisco. He's lived in Sa- uh, Sydney, Australia, and he spent uh, 17 or 18 years involved in the property business. He he ended up back in Ireland uh, involved with his family property business. And uh, like many of us, they they were badly impacted by the 2008 global financial crisis. And unlike unlike myself, who went abroad in search of projects and things like that to kind of keep keep the the show on the road, Damien turned the struggles he was experiencing into an opportunity to pivot into the tech sector. And um, in particular, he, he sort of looked at door locks and monetizing access control. So what he has created is a smartphone operated door lock that is linked to a payment platform. So um, anyway, I'll let Damien explain it better. Without any further ado, my conversation with Damien Brown. All right. So today I have Mr. Damien Brown from Standard Access on the podcast. Uh, Damien, welcome aboard. Uh, it's great to have you on. Thanks, Gavin. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's good to talk to you again. You're coming all the way from the rare old Dingle Peninsula. Uh, That's right, yeah, down in Southwest. Uh, thankfully, thankfully, we have a beautiful day today. It's been nice. I can see the sun shining on your wall. Well, just to um, just to remind you, we have uh, we have kind of a global audience. We have people all over the U.S. listening in Australia and England and things like that. But um, for the Irish audience, everyone knows Dingle pretty well. That's where the it's the home of Fungi the dolphin, and there's been a lot of controversy about where's Fungi gone in the last few weeks on the on the newspapers here. They're obviously running out of stories to uh, to tell, you know. But um, I tell uh, just to get started, uh, Damien. Um, we're going to go into all of your you know your business and all that kind of stuff. But for the people in the audience that have never heard of you, can you just give us a little bit of a, an overview and a backstory as to um, you know what uh, what what started what brought you to where you are today? Yeah, sure. I spent uh, nearly all my life working in, in property. Uh, I was a, a commercial landlord for a long time, buying and selling uh, investment uh, properties in Ireland, UK, and a little bit in Europe. And um, they left about 17 or 18 years. And the recession came in 2008, 2009. And uh, so cash flow just sunk. And uh, I was for a few years, you know, obviously trying to cut costs everywhere and to keep cash flow going. And I was trying to figure out a way how I could use technology to, uh, to uh, I suppose, take advantage of, of, of the inefficiencies in managing portfolios and like, key holding and not being able to be in, in more than one place at, at the same time and having multiple sites across different jurisdictions and trying to manage uh like i said key holders real estate agents maintenance teams engineers surveyors inspections for potential new tenants or local government to do uh, building inspections and so on and so forth and uh so the problems i face every day whereas uh opening doors remotely for people depending on key holders who may or not may turn up, uh, keys go missing, locksmiths are needed to come in, um, fixed problems like leaks at 2 o'clock in the morning, trying to get people in there to open doors. And, and also then during the recession, the big problem was getting trying to collect rent on time. 
Uh, so got that light bulb moment in early 2014 to uh, use mobile phones to possibly to open doors. I was thinking, and uh, and also to be able to manage, uh, um, you know, a platform, desktop platform, to be able to manage all my spaces and all the people who need need access to, to those spaces and the ability to sell sell the space behind each door to uh, potential uh, tenants. And I wanted to go further than that. I wanted to manage utilities and telecoms by the millisecond to build it that way and, and things like that. And uh, so I went to my local university and I said to them I, uh, I wanted to build this platform that I could upload all my spaces and so other landlords could, could use it as well so that tenants could come along, potential customers could come along, they could select from uh, size of property, location of property, type of property, uh, how long they want for duration and their budget, and they would get a, a list of options at the end. So, if it's a warehouse or an office or an apartment or a hotel room or whatever, whatever it may be, or a lockup, that they would get options at the end of the filter, and we'll say it's going to be twenty thousand dollars for a, a, a an office in the Upper East Side of Manhattan for two months, and then make payments in real time, uh, bank transfer or credit card, and if they made a successful transaction, that our back end server would create keys and send uh, part of the key to that door, uh, keep part of the key in the cloud, and the other part of the key will be generated by their phone. So that was the concept behind it. We spent uh, about five years in R&D. Uh, we looked at different protocols like um, Bluetooth and NSC and things like that. Protocols I, I didn't personally really like because of security and pairing issues and power issues. And as well as that, at the time, NSC wasn't available on the iOS phones. So I said to the, to, the, to the researchers in the college, I said, you know, wouldn't it be really cool? I said, if you could send a burst of sound from your phone to unlock a door, um, because every one who has a phone then could use it, you know, because every phone has a speaker and microphone, and then it wouldn't be limited. Everybody could use it. It would be like a universal set of keys. So they looked into it, and they, they found out we could. So we started, uh, we started building our early prototypes using sound, and we filed intellectual property in the United States. And funnily enough, uh, last week, last Friday, our, our patent was uh, was approved uh, in the United States after a five-year battle with the, with, the, with the examiner in the U.S. Patent Office. Uh, so that was a, a nice lift to get. Um, and uh, we started uh, selling into the social housing sector in the U.K. late last year. And uh, we had big plans for 2020. And uh, <laughs> yeah. like everybody else, they were... They, they all came crashing down in, in April. Um, so, yeah, it's like everybody else has set everything back a year, at least a year, in terms of our rollout. Um, so it's been a challenging year. Um, so, yeah, it's, that's, that's where we are at the moment. Okay, I'm going to take you back now, um, just pre, pre-business pre and stuff like that. I mean, where did you, did you go to school in, Kerry? Uh, is that that's where yeah, you were born? I was in Kerry. Um, I finished high school. Uh, secondary school and I went to college for a year uh, I wasn't terribly academic at school what did you study I studied business studies in, in, in the college in Scotland uh, oh Scotland okay yeah uh, dropped out after a year knew it wasn't for me and I started to travel the world to America I lived in San Francisco I lived in Sydney in Australia and a few other places I was always working in construction Started out labouring and uh, started uh, 
to make some money doing that after a while. And um, yeah, so my background is I was always been in, in, in the property sector. In property. And then I saw the Brown Group in your in your LinkedIn. Is that um, is that that was your own personal business? Yeah, there was me and my dad had a company. Uh, it was a, that was just a holding company for investment properties across Ireland, UK, and, and a bit in Europe. Okay, I get you. And like us all back 2008 became a bit of a, a challenge for <laughs> yeah. pretty much everyone in the world. So um, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, it's great to to, to know that <clears throat> obviously when you have a, a background in property, you have a, a very good kind of handle on all of the different issues that you face um, as a manager or as an owner, as an investor. And so it's kind of positioned you really well in um, in terms of the way your business is structured. I, I'm, I see you, you're mentioning patents in, in the US and things like that. So how much of your business is is, is US kind of centric and, uh, versus Ireland? I mean, obviously coming from, from the Dingle Peninsula, a lot of people would assume that it's an Irish focused business, but it's far from that. It's it's in the UK. It's in yeah. We we we, we haven't actually yes. been selling into the United States at the moment. That was just kind of like a, a strategy, I suppose, five years ago to um, give us protection in the markets we intend to go into. Okay. Um. But um. Yeah. Twenty twenty one. Um. The end of twenty twenty one is when we were hoping to go into 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 New York. Um, but now we have the protection, you know, it gives us the impetus to get there a bit faster, you know. I get you. Yeah. Um, and um, the, I mean, let's just staying on the property management side, because I know how challenging that can be. Did you, you know, what, um, what aspects of that, obviously you've, you've transitioned into, into kind of technology and stuff like that. Was there any particular aspect of the property uh, business that you disliked um, or was it just, you know, it was driving me insane. Was um, when you're looking for a new tenant for a commercial building, the whole time it took, uh, the amount of money you spent in marketing, choosing the right real estate agent, uh, trying to find that tenant. You know, I, I think the return on, on the amount of inquiries to actually executing a lease, the return was about 5%. It's about 1 in 20. Wow. And uh, that drove me insane during the recession when, before I came up with the idea of tech, using technology. It drove me insane that, you know, you had all these uh, third-party people dictating whether I was going to get a tenant and I get paid and get paid some rent, you know, and that just drove yeah. me insane. And you wanted direct contact rather than through a third party. Yeah, it's just you know, the tenancy laws in Ireland, UK, and in the USA and Canada, Australia, they're all based on British tenancy law, which is about three hundred years old. Yeah. And um, it's if you looked at it objectively, it's absolutely insane. And whereas, you know, trying to find a tenant, get the tenant there, get contracts signed, get leases signed, to carry out, it's just, it's, you know, I don't think anybody would get into property if they knew what's involved. We can be, you know, it, may, I know, people are always into property, but it's not as easy as people may think from, from the outside, especially in commercial space. And it yeah. is meant to be either, but obviously maybe barriers to entry, but. In fact, but it's the amount of third-party people who get in your way trying to generate revenue today. If I want to stay in a hotel tonight, I can book it online or I can walk in off the street. I can book a room. I pay in cash. There's no such thing as I'll pay in three months' time. You know, you get paid. Yeah. It's a cash business. And when I started looking at the at the leasing business, when you look at it objectively, it, you're actually competing with a bank for money in the future. It's like signing a letter of credit. 
you're, you're, you're signing a, a contract with a company who maybe pay you six months or 12 months to deposit and in the hope that they'll pay you every quarter for the next 10 years or five years or 15 years. And that's basically competing for, for money with a bank. In, but in fact, when that, if that tenant goes, yeah, well, uh, the most you're, you're going, probably going to get is probably a year's deposit in escrow, you know, uh, you know or at the very If you're moment. lucky, yeah. If you're lucky. Yeah, not yeah, even. The, the laws are very hard to, to, um, to implement um, if, if something goes wrong. Whereas if it's a bank loan, they'll have their clause on your pension and your, on all, all a host of other stuff, and you wouldn't take that, you know. It, yeah. I think if people... Uh, you know, looked at it more objectively, they might be as fast to get into uh, buying investment properties or, you know, it's a tough game as you know well. Mm. Um, but the business model is changing and it has changed. It's already bolted. Uh, WeWork uh, broke the, the, the mold six or seven years ago where you can rent uh, an office for uh, for a month or uh, three months or four months or five months or you can, and you can walk away, you know? Yeah. So it's changing. Yeah, it is. It's changing. And I mean, in terms of commercial property, that you were in, which particular ones? I mean, obviously the retail sector has been knocked on its head. Mm. Um, what uh, investments did you guys manage in your company? Um, offices, uh, warehouses, and a little bit of retail. Mostly offices, mostly warehouses. Well, the warehouses have fared quite quite well, generally speaking. Um, but uh, yeah, offices are, are pretty badly impacted as well. Our business park is is, you know, we're looking at about 5% occupancy at the moment. And uh, thankfully, they're all big multinationals, so we don't have the same sort of uh, problems that you would if there were like a mom-and-pop kind of a business, you know, or a... But, I, but I, anyway... I, I think the office sector is going... You actually might be getting crazy, right? But I think the office sector is going to grow in the next couple of years. Because I think that um, anybody coming... we we'll say for anybody, for any new leases that are going to be signed, or people who are looking at coming to Dublin or Limerick or Cork or New York or anywhere... They're going to be looking for more space because guys, everybody's going to have to have more space per person, you know, for, uh, uh, well, you know. well, the alternative is that they'll work, just work from home. <laughs> so I don't think it's, I don't think there's going to be one, one extreme. I think it'll be hybrid. I think it'll be, you know, I agree with you there. Flexi, yeah. flexi hours and stuff like that. A combination of, that's just my own personal opinion. And I think that the standard will become the, the Google or the Facebook style offices. And um, when we do see a, a reasonable return of, of people come back to the office, um, I think those, those tenants are going to look for more space. Before we move on to talking about standard access and setting up the company and all that, I just, um, to finish out, because there's a lot of listeners here who are you know, aspiring property investors and stuff, and <clears throat> just wondering if you have any advice for property you know given the you know the portfolio that you assembled with your dad and stuff like that like what advice would you give to investors that are kind of starting out now today oh my god that's a tough question i like asking the tough questions i don't know you, you'd have to come up with your own criteria you know would you would you invest in residential no it depends it depends it depends on what market in ireland no way no way. residential tenancy laws are, are daft and insane and you know, protected land or the other tenants? Absolutely not. Uh, commercial in Ireland, like you mentioned a while ago, industrial big box stuff is is, is going to do well in the next couple of years. And we've seen that this year with the with the massive, insane growth of the uh, tech companies. Yeah. So you know, the last mile stuff, the the dark kitchens as they call them, that kind of thing. You know, 
it, there could be opportunities to reposition retail uh, properties in the city centres to to, um, to miniature warehouses for the for that last mile delivery. Mm. Uh, yeah, I've been actually thinking about that. All right, the whole ma- ma- last mile is becoming a major a major issue. All right, yeah, it's going to be yeah. Or, or you know, those places could become a pickup. You know, yes, yeah. the, the expense of trying to deliver a parcel or a letter to everybody's house. Go and pick up in, in your in your suburb uh, drop off point or something. I don't know. Well, but, it's it's yeah. One of the things that I've been thinking for the last year or two is that you know the the way the the retail market and the high street has gone is you know there's like this billion dollar industry there to whoever comes up with the repurposed you know what can you do with all that space because it's sitting there. Um, you know the rents are going to keep on dropping and dropping and dropping on as as you know the footfall drops and stuff, but they are valuable locations you know central into the city and stuff so if you can figure out how to um, repurpose that funnily enough i was speaking to a friend who is based in london and he was saying that you know there's a couple of retail units around really really busy areas like um, oxford circus and things like that where there's just milling millions of people milling around and he says he's actually seen a um, like a a place that you can store your bicycle Uh, Mm -hmm. So they've actually, don't ask me like how, how it works, but you, you cycle in and you can just park your bike and it's in a shop. What was previously a retail unit is now a bicycle parking area. Wow. But of course, now that everyone is, you know, people are trying to avoid buses and all that kind of stuff. It does become something that is actually, you can see people with a fancy bike or whatever, not wanting to kind of stick it out there with a chain around it or whatever. You put it into a proper storage facility and the whole place can get kind of looked after. I saw something in London a couple of years ago. Someone told me about it. I don't know it was Marylebone High Street or somewhere like that, uh, where the landlord, I think it was like this one landlord owned the whole high street and redeveloped it and built apartments overhead. And on the, for the retail units on the ground floor or on the street side, uh, they wouldn't allow any chain stores in. Okay. So and it was only like a local local store kind of thing? Exactly. So crafters, uh, boutiques, um, that kind of thing, high quality stuff. And um, they took a hit on the rent, but they got higher rent for the for the for the residential uh, apartments upstairs because people want because to of it. Yeah, yeah. In the area. And I saw another one in, in France, a city with something like forty percent unemployment ten years ago. Um, the the council came together, the businesses came together, the residents came together, and they did something similar. The, every every um, uh, shop that was lo- was lo- uh, shut down, whatever they they repainted it, they opened it free electricity, you no, know, a euro a week for the first year or whatever it was. And but they chose about who was coming into into these places. Uh, that city, I can't think of the name. It's what north, mm. yeah. north of Paris. There's a lot to be said for tenant selection. An awful lot, and you know, if you had the retail mixed right, uh, you know, you can revitalize your city center. I mean. I've been in Dublin a few times in the last six months and uh, in around Dublin too, Mosworth Street, Kildare Street and doing a bit of work up there and I've been shocked at four or five o'clock in the evening when I'm trying to get out of the city before rush hour. Uh, I can't get a coffee anymore. Mm. And, uh, and there was an interesting article in the media recently where they just said, you know, unfortunately Dublin city centre two and four has been focused on offices, 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 offices and there's nobody living in the city anymore. Yeah, it's like a, they call it the donut city. No one beds, there's no two beds, there's no four bedroom apartments, you know, you know, and maybe that's why it's like a ghost town, you know? Mm. Yeah, they call it the donut city, where everyone's living around the outside and there's nothing in the middle. 
Okay, um, Damien, let's move to your, you know, you've decided that you're getting out of the property business and you want to get into technology, starting a technology company. That's quite a transition to make. Um, you haven't got any experience. Like, where did you start? What was your first kind of move, your first kind of idea in terms of strategy? Well, the reason I did it was because it was burning a hole in my pocket. So it was costs and, and, and draining my, my cash flow, which, which, made, which I suppose forced my, me to think about how I'm going to use technology to fix these problems. And, um, you know, I was thinking about, okay, I need to address the access control using smartphones. I need to address um, the ability to, to search the property and find the property I need. And, you know... I was thinking, okay, I got it. I'll have to go to China to get these products made. You know, I'll have to hire engineers in Russia, you know, software engineers because it, you couldn't afford anybody in Dublin because they're all working for Google and Facebook. So my first port of call was to go to the um, Enterprise Ireland, which is the, the Irish government um, investment agency, to look for, uh, uh, ask them for their advice of where I should go. And they actually pointed me in the direction of my local university here in Kerry. Um, who had the actual expertise I needed to build a proof of concept. Really? Just yeah. there in Kerry? That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. So um, It just shows you you don't have to look too far sometimes. A lot of people yeah. would make the assumption that, oh, I'll have to go to Trinity College in Dublin or whatever, or go to London, some, some big fancy university in London, but it's yeah. right under your nose, essentially. Yeah. It, it, there's like 10 of these, in, what they call industrial gateways around the country in the small universities. They all specialize in different things. Right. And the one uh, in Kerry was actually uh, had the expertise in what I was looking for. I was just very, very lucky. Fascinating. And um, so, you know, you, you, did you build some sort of a an initial product, or or how did you kind of? You, you obviously went to Enterprise Ireland for some funding as well, I guess, that, because they do all their grants and things like that. Was yeah. that an easy process? Uh, initially it was you can get what they call an innovation grant which you can spend with, with the third level institutions uh, for 5,000 euros and I used that initially in my own cash to get the university to build me a proof of concept with hardware and with uh, building a, a very simple uh, dashboard uh, when you say hardware so, so did, you know you, you mentioned before so it's kind of like a sonic uh, noise that comes from the smartphone yeah so um, that, and that was was that right from the word go you you had that kind of concept yeah that's right yeah yeah okay um university said you know i said university i want i said i want a dashboard and i said uh, i said i want the hardware to allow people to walk through doors using phones and so on and they started talking about nfc locks smart locks and august and bluetooth knowledge nfc is a, a near field yeah communications yeah Right, yeah. You know, like you tap your card to pay for your goods in the supermarket or whatever. Or, or your field, yeah. Okay. yeah, it's it's just a radio, a radio signal. And um, anyway, I, I the reason I hate Bluetooth is because of pairing issues. And you know, you drop the signal, and then you got to pair it again. And uh, as well as that, uh, Bluetooth enable locks. When you're connected to that lock, uh, it's on all the time. So if you walk, can you imagine walking down the hallway of an office building and there's got ten Bluetooth enabled locks? Locks. Uh, it all open as you walk on as you walk in proximity, and uh, all the smart locks in the market at the time, all the intelligence was 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 in the actual lock itself. So battery the power is a big problem. No, that's probably okay in the home automation because it's for your own home or your apartment. But if you try to reposition that or repurpose that lock for a commercial environment, it wouldn't last two or three weeks because the amount of people going through doors. So the two issues were protocol and um, and power. 
So I said to college at the time where the engineers we started hire us, listen, let's let's just develop a, a dumb lock that only speaks when spoken to. Let's put a reader on the outside, and that reader will relay to the inside of the, of the door to a, to a gateway above the ceiling or behind the wall. I say, oh, yeah, it's a bit clunky, but it'll work. It'll do what it's supposed to do. Um, so that's what we ended up doing, and we we, we built electronics from scratch. It was I couldn't go into my local um, Best Buy or, or, or electronics store to buy something off the shelf and copy it because what I was doing had never been done before. Um, so we spent a lot of time and a lot of money research and development, uh, uh, testing uh, boards and speakers and microphones and LEDs and housing and getting it certified. And you know it was a long, long process and uh, it was a tough, tough, tough process. Like as you know, I'm not a techie, so at the start. I heard um, maybe I heard wrong people, and um, that was a very expensive lesson to learn. Uh, we 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 have an amazing team right now. They are world class uh, software people and hardware people. But it took a long time to find us the right the right team. Um, they have great abilities uh, and great attitudes, and uh, we're a good dynamic, I suppose. Their expertise today would lie in artificial intelligence, the cloud. Uh, 5G, uh, that kind of stuff. Right, okay. But, um, you know, hardware is hard. You know, uh, I, I met a government agency last year and they were criticizing me that it took, took us five years to get where we were. And I said, listen, I said, um, you know, the, if you build a medical device from concept to on the market shelf, I said, it takes about 10 years. I said, we did it in five. And I said, we did something, we did something that was never done before. Mm. so you know but saying all that would I do it again I don't know uh, and the problem is in Ireland is, is that we don't have a very tax friendly environment for investing and uh, so the amount of investable money in Ireland is quite small even forget about population relatively to America but the environment for investing isn't isn't uh, very conducive not the government not the, same as the US or whatever yeah yeah so with hindsight, it's a great thing. Yeah, I would have went to America, absolutely. I went to, went to New York or Silicon Valley to try and, and raise a big chunk of change. So it's been a struggle trying to develop this um, on small rounds of investment. Yeah, I'd say. And um, I mean, in terms of your the process so far, like, is there any particular area where you kind of you hit a stone wall and you kind of think, geez, I wouldn't, I wouldn't approach it this way? You just mentioned, obviously, funding the, the way to do it is to go straight to the us or, or whatever don't waste your time trying to talk to investors in i suppose it depends what you're trying like with hardware maybe yeah i mean software is a different story i mean you can if you throw enough of engineers at a problem with software they'll, they'll, they'll figure it out very quickly they can fix yeah. it but with hardware takes time i mean you can build uh, a hardware uh, electronics box and it looks great and all the parts are working fine. And then you find out after, after two months, maybe the screw isn't strong enough to hold it on the wall. Or the hole is, it's just so many things. I mean, it can go wrong, yeah. Nearly a hundred different active parts in, 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 our, in, our, in our hardware. And um, our gateways um, have more processing power than my laptop I'm talking to you on now. Jeez. Um, so it sounds like a, you're, you're building a Swiss watch that you fit to a door. <laughs> yeah, from scratch. <laughs> from scratch yeah. had to invent the technology first and then you had to go and build the damn thing yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. 
So it's a challenge. And I mean, yeah. And then on top of that, you've got like major sort of corporations around the world who who might decide, oh, let's let's have a look at this ourselves. And, and of course, you face that potential yeah. risk of, of having somebody like that kind of. Yeah, it's always there. And um, we, when, when I started this first day, the most important things for me, as I explained to the, the technology uh, experts, was the safety of my tenants and other tenants, other people's tenants, and the safety of data. And I said, if we can have those two things protected and, and uh, as much as possible, I said, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good strategy for me because I know that my tenants then will stay longer, they'll be happier, and they'll pay me more rent. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so security is a big part of our of our mission to uh, put the best part in the market and innovation. We're constantly innovating. I mean, in terms of, I, I notice on your LinkedIn, you, you have a mention to Blue Power Energy. Is that, um, is that something completely separate or is it related in any way? That's completely separate, yeah. Uh, That's way power. You're trying, to, you're trying to harness it's, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a good friend of mine, Connor Hahi in Dublin, uh, and I, we, we've been sailing together for a long time and uh, we've always been amazed, I suppose, by the, by the power of nature and the force of energy created by the seas in, in getting our butts kicked uh, by big storms. And um, his family were always uh, interested in, um, in renewable energy as well. Um, so uh, we, we came up with an idea in 2008, I think it was, uh, to develop a, a wave energy device um, that would be like a, a buoy sitting on top of the water, uh, anchored to the seabed. And... Um, the force of the waves pushing it up and the weight of the machine going back down um, would uh, help create electricity. And that was a concept. And we, we built about 11 different prototypes over the years, starting off with one about this size. And the last one was about two meters by two and a half meters wide or something. That was quite a big machine. And we, wow. yeah. we've got a complex property built around it as well. But it's, a, it's a direct uh, mechanical drive uh, device. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, it's been a hell of a journey, the process engineering. Um, and a lot that's, of money another, that's like another hardware product, basically. Yeah, but it's, you know, on a much you bigger scale. You learn the first time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't have any active day, day-to-day involvement with that company, but uh, it's been an, that's been an amazing journey, and it's, it's probably something that will get over time, you know. But it's like if you go back to the, to the windmills back in the late 70s, early 80s, they started off with one kilowatt or half a kilowatt machines and, now they're know, huge, yeah. and developed from there. So, you know, these things, whoever, whoever cracks it, uh, you know, it'll take them 20 years to do it, 30 years maybe, I don't know. Yeah, it's a huge opportunity though because if you look at the, the world, the, the different locations around the world that have certain mm-hmm. renewable energy strengths, like you look at the Sahara Desert or whatever, I mean, clearly that has got solar panels you know written all over it but in terms of irish weather like we have pretty we can have some pretty bad weather and 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 overcast days for for months on end so solar would not be my you know my go-to renewable i would have thought wind or indeed wave energy is the way to go because we're an island nation obviously we surrounded by water and therefore waves are i mean i i grew up a lot of sailing as well so i know the the strength of um the, the sea I got caught in a couple of big storms with my dad, and uh, the power of the the power of the ocean is just insanely powerful. Mm-hmm. And it's funny today, actually. I just was uh, tweeting 
images of these huge waves off the coast of Sligo that were surfed yesterday or the day before. It's incredible, like 20 meter waves mm-hmm. and the guys out surfing them, you know, it's fascinating. So um, Damien, in terms of, you know, the challenges and the struggles that you've, um, you, 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 you've mentioned, obviously hardware, what about the kind of the, the softer side of the business, the, the marketing and the fine, you know, investment raising and all that? How has that gone for you? I mean, you know, how have you gone about raising money from, from, from Dingle? Do you, are you traveling all the, the time or do you find that you're, you're able to raise it um, from there? Family and friends, uh, mostly. Uh, and all the people who invested so far, I, I knew them personally. Um, and most of them... If they're not from from this part of the world, uh, they have a connection to this part of the world. Um, <clears throat> very hard to raise VC money in Ireland, especially when you're pre-revenue. Yeah, um, because there's there's, a, there's only a handful, maybe less than ten VC firms in the country, and so the, com- the competition uh, for, to get their attention is quite high. So unless you're generating revenue and probably making profits, chances of getting VC money in Ireland are quite slim. Compared yeah. to, let's say, America, where you would have thousands and thousands and thousands of VC firms. Um, and as well as that, hardware as well. Uh, most VC firms don't invest in hardware mm. um, because they know how hard it is. <laughs> and, and so who are your target? Like, I mean, at some point, you're going to have uh, revenues and, and all that kind of stuff that, that kind of make the, the, the possibility of you getting, going out and getting a big you know, raise. What are your target kind of them? investors for that kind of a thing would you would you see yourself kind of going to a big kind of a hardware type business like a conglomerate like a ge or somebody like that or, or or where would you see yourself kind of going in the next couple of years i would say it might be a combination of different partnerships uh, it could be a telecoms company it could be a chip company it could be a real estate company it could be uh, company already supplying electronics and, and uh, real estate products into the market, like a, a General Electric or Honeywell, I'm one of these people. Uh, it could be any any one of those. Uh, we're, we're doing a fundraising round at the moment, and um, we're uh, in due diligence with a few uh, individuals. Um, if we, I, I don't know if we'll do another, another round after this in a couple of years, I don't know. Um, I, maybe we'll use traditional finance to that stage, I don't know yet. Difficult one, all right, isn't it? Yeah. And in terms of marketing your products, you, you mentioned that you're you're doing some social housing in the UK. How did you get that job? How did you go about sort of landing that that job? The social housing sector in the UK, there's about 2,000 not-for-profit social housing providers in the UK, and most of them are part of, there's two, two associations, you're either part of one association or the other, and one of those associations ran a prop tech accelerator a couple of years ago. Okay. And I got an email from the company who were employed to run that accelerator. Uh, I think it was around 2017, I, I think. And uh, they asked, would, they, the email just, would you be interested in having a conversation about this, blah, blah, blah. And I actually ignored the email because I was just, the same week I was just up the walls and I didn't know what social housing was in the first place. And I just thought it was just another bloody distraction, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it, a lot of accelerators are just a distraction, you know? <laughs> and, um so I forgot about it. Anyway, I got another email a week later from the same lady. And I guess I, I, showed, I, I should show a bit of manners here. And I, I replied to it. And uh, and uh, I started looking at the internet. The next thing I realized, oh, my God, like this is like the biggest 
probably the single biggest property market in the UK. Um, like some of these uh, social housing providers have 100, 200,000 properties. Wow. They're absolutely enormous. I would say the top 10 companies would be probably bigger than any of the private organizations in, in the UK. Um, wow. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, hello, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I did a, a call with the lady a few days later. She was very nice. And um, she thought we'd be a perfect fit for their, for their program. So we applied for it, got through eventually. And uh, one of my colleagues went back and forth to the UK for a couple of months, part of the program. Okay, I can remember. That's the lady that um, works with you. That's right. Yeah, she, 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 she's actually moved on to another company now. Okay. But um, yeah, she, she went back and forth for, for a long time. And uh, I can remember meeting her with you um, a few years back, all right, and you were talking about being in the UK. Oh yeah, that was uh, that's how, how how we got involved with the social housing sector in the UK, and uh, it was the relationships we built up with um, with uh, some of the social housing uh, providers who were on that program. That's um, and we've we've kept those relationships going since. That's how we're today selling into them. And uh, do you have a, a number of you're you're active at the moment, kind of managing all that kind of stuff? Sorry, are you yeah. active at the moment in the UK? So um, all of those properties that you're are you yeah, looking we're, at? We're, we're managing everything from here. Uh, we have a partner in London that does um, installations for us um, and any maintenance, but uh, okay. business development and relationships and all that and any updates or technical or security is all done from here. Yeah, I, so, so I must, um, I'll, I'll put uh, standard access. I see it on the behind you there, your phone number and your and your nicely nice plug the um but i must uh, you know, i'll put in the show notes access uh, you know your your website and things like that so people can check it out but um i was going to just ask you in terms of advice over the years and bad advice good advice and um do you want to kind of share any thoughts on just things to steer away from and just general advice for for anyone who's kind of listening given well, your uh, long experience for, for for start if you're thinking of doing, doing a startup uh I suppose the most important thing really is uh, once you have that idea, that, that great idea, that light bulb moment, is go and talk to potential customers immediately. And don't be afraid to talk to them. They're not going to rob your idea. Go and talk to them and say, is this something you, you'd buy off me? Is this something you'd pay for? How much would you pay for it? How many would you need? You know, this small, simple information. And then build what they call MVP, minimal viable product, a very simple product with no bells and whistles, no fancy features, just a minimum two or three things that makes our life five percent, ten percent easier. Mm. Great advice. You know, it's actually what you've just told me reminds me of a story. I was I had a, a friend of mine a couple of that's probably about ten years ago now, but he was creating a um, an online platform. I won't go into the details, but he 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 asked me to sign an NDA so that he could show it to me, and uh, you know, a non disclosure agreement. I was there, like, sorry you're a mate of mine like why would i sign an nda and he's like i can't i can't tell you about my idea unless you sign this nda mm-hmm. and i was just like like i actually refused to sign it i just thought i'm not signing your nda i yeah. said you, you can you can show me your plans if you want but i think it's probably one of the biggest mistakes people have is that okay. like you said somebody is going to steal my idea mm-hmm. and you know they're going to end up worth millions and i'm gonna have no money because uh, you know i shared my idea and, and I, it's just a full a complete false mindset that that you just got to get it, out of your head and the conspiracy theory stuff like and you know 
at the end of the day, right, if you're passionate about something, there's nobody in the world going to do better than you. Yeah, because your passion carries you through all the difficult times. You should never be afraid to, to talk about, uh, about your ideas. Yeah, of course, there's some things you don't do, you know what I mean? But you don't have to tell everybody the exact recipe. But you can give people an overview of what you're doing, you know? Yeah. But be fair about it. As you know, Gavin, most people don't give a damn what you're doing anyway. Or they're not that interested. They're, they're more focused on their own stuff. That's the reality. They don't have time. You know, people don't yeah. have time. People just have enough time to go after their own lives. And another, you know, a, a, good, a good thing, a lesson, my, my, my grandfather taught my, my father in 1955. He said to my father, I said, uh, never depend on the business you think you should get. And uh, it's so true. Yeah. You think, oh, I'm friends with this guy, whatever. He, he'll, he'll buy off me, whatever. Not going to happen. Unless you're creating value for somebody and are not interested. Keep, stay hungry, basically. Stay hungry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Great advice. And um, uh, I was just going to say, um, Damien, in, in ter- my final question is usually the, um, the advice that you would have given yourself if you were starting out again 20 years ago, at, at the age of 20. Uh, we won't give away your age <laughs> any more than I give away mine. But say you're, you're, you're talking to your 20-year-old self. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Trust yourself all the time. Back yourself up. Back yourself. Yourself. Go at your gut. And uh, they, they say this. My wife always, you know, and, and, and your wife and other women will always say about female intuition. Well, men have it too. And uh, go at your gut every time and back yourself. And anybody, absolutely anybody who's negative, get them out of your life. Keep them away from you. Yeah. Absolutely. Even their family, siblings, keep them out of your life. Because uh, negative people will, will never help you. They'll only bring you down. I've heard that many, many times repeated over the years. Okay, Damien, thanks so much for, for the chat today. Can you just tell us if, if people wanted to reach out and, uh, and inquire into your product or, or wanted to connect with you directly? How can they find you? Uh, we're on Twitter, Standard Access. Uh, our, my own one is Damien Brown. Uh, LinkedIn, Standard Access. Uh, our Damien at standardaccess.co, C-O. And uh, if we can help you, we will. Great stuff. Damien, been a great pleasure chatting with you and uh, wish you the best with um, the hardware now that you've got your now that you've got your patent in place. We're expecting big things to happen. Thanks, Gavin. Much appreciated. Well, I hope you enjoyed the uh, conversation there with Mr. Damien Brown and I uh, hope you found it useful. Uh, one thing's for sure, getting the hardware technology sector, uh, it's a tough sector to crack and um, my hats off to Damien for having the kind of perseverance and tenacity to kind of spend five years developing a product. I have put links to Standard Access and to Damien in the show notes below. And uh, as um, we are coming to the end of the podcast, I shall read out the usual little bits that I do. That is the end of episode number 27 of Behind the Facade. Please check out the show notes below for links to the various websites mentioned today. Thank you so much for listening. My number one ask is for you guys to stop what you're doing right now and leave a review of the podcast. If you find this useful in any way, I would really be grateful if you could do that. It helps us get discovered and it helps us just kind of get up there in the algorithm. And um, if you have any questions or topics you would like me to cover in future episodes, please don't forget to join the Facebook group Behind the Facade community. It's the best way to connect with me. Of course, you can connect with me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher for pretty much everything. 
And um, lastly, if you would like to uh, check out some of my video content, I have a YouTube channel dedicated to real estate related stuff and it's called PropTech TV where I post a lot of my content. Guys, I'm wishing you a great week and um, this week I'm actually going to be interviewing two different guests, one based in London and one based in New York. So the next couple of episodes should be sweet and uh, wish you all a great week. Oh, 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 oh,